Hey everyone, welcome to Victory Watchers. Tonight, as we do every Friday, we'll be going over current events and we'll be talking about how these current events we're seeing around the world line up with what the Bible says concerning the last days, the end times. And we'll be seeing how these events are basically showing us that the tribulation is casting a shadow in our time right now. So stay tuned as we talk about that here on Victory Watchers tonight. So we'll be waiting for more people to join and then we will start the show as usual. Uh, tonight, it'll just be me. Uh, Brother Stefan, unfortunately, is going to be seeing his mom who has COVID and pneumonia. Uh, so him and his family are taking the time to uh, just go to her, spend some time with her. So you guys can keep her in prayer as well. Keep uh, the family in prayer as they just go through this difficult time. That'll be very beneficial to him and to all of us as well. So thanks for joining, guys. So we'll just be giving it some time. As usual, I'm really excited to just talk about these current events because there's a lot going on. We got some news concerning the Middle East. Lots going on uh, with Israel and Middle East, Iran. Uh, we're seeing articles about how they actually are at the point where they can make a nuclear weapon. Um, and we've been hearing about that for years now, right? So now they're actually getting to that point. We have news on UFOs. So that's always in the mainstream now. Um, never a shortage of that technology, uh, um, digital IDs, things like that. So we'll be talking about a variety of things. Thanks for joining, guys. So again, we'll be waiting for a few more minutes before we start. And then I'll go ahead and start. Thanks for joining again, guys. For those who just joined, it's just me tonight. Brother Stefan uh, is with his family. Uh, they went to visit his mom, who unfortunately got covid and pneumonia. So if you guys can just keep him and his mother in prayer for just healing, um, the Lord just strengthen them through this hard time. That'll be great. He'll greatly appreciate that. And they'll be back on Monday because there will not be any um, Saturday apologetics either. So he will be back next week, Monday. Okay, with that said, I'll just start us off with prayer and we will just get into it. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for getting us through another week. We thank you for this technology we're able to use, the freedom that we have, Lord, to just gather in your name, uh, to go through your words, talk about Bible prophecy, deepen our knowledge and understanding of what your word says concerning the last days. I pray that during this time, you uh, that we keep it pointed to Jesus, that we always point everything we're talking about to Jesus, to the gospel, uh, that this encourages us as fellow believers, and they use this, Lord. Uh, to just plant seeds of the gospel in the hearts of unbelievers who may be watching this now, watching this later, listening after the fact. Uh, I just pray for Brother Stefan, uh, his family, his mom. Uh, I just pray for your hand of, of healing over her, Lord, hand of protection over her. I pray for um, just peace upon their families as they go through this time, that you help them uh, weather uh, this tough trial that they're going through as well, Lord, and that uh, you just continue to encourage us as believers, continue to help us encourage Brother Stefan, as he's dealing with these things as well. So we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for joining, guys. So with the first article, I'll just start um, in terms of what's going on, I guess, in the realm of Christianity. So obviously, you know, Scripture talks about the falling away that will happen in the last days. Uh, people not listening to sound doctrine, uh, giving heed to seducing spirits. We'll see those verses being talked about in First and Second Timothy. But in the Christian Post... Uh, there's a headline, shocking, survey finds only half of evangelical pastors hold biblical worldview. Uh, so if you guys remember a few weeks back, there's actually a survey done where they conducted a survey concerning pastors in general, just from different denominations who held a biblical worldview. And it was around 30-something percent. This article touches on that as well. 
but this new survey that they're doing focuses specifically on evangelicals. So the the hope here was that going into this survey, they're like, okay, uh, maybe you know the the Baptists were were off, maybe the Pentecostals were off, uh, maybe you know they just didn't they just didn't know scripture or whatever. And the hope was that hopefully the evangelicals, right, which is supposed to supposed to be one of the largest Christian groups in America, hopefully they understand what the Bible says. Hopefully they have a biblical worldview, but only half of evangelical pastors hold the biblical worldview. So if that's not a sign of the times concerning where we are in Christianity, I don't know what is. This article says, once considered the denomination of scriptural truth bearers, evangelical Christians might be in jeopardy of losing their theological reputation. And what researchers described as a shocking find, a new report from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University indicated just over half of all U.S. pastors of evangelical churches have a biblical worldview. Now, that is crazy. Um, this study released Tuesday builds on an early report from CRC's American Worldview Inventory 2022, which I was just referencing in the previous study they did that was more generic. Uh, which showed that just 37% of Christian pastors bring a biblical worldview with them to their pulpits. And then there's the last uh, piece of this article here. The nationwide study of about 1,000 Christian pastors conducted between February and March found that 57% of pastors leading non-denominational and independent churches held a biblical worldview, which researchers called biblical theism. Non-denominational independent churches were even more likely to subscribe to biblical worldview than leaders of evangelical churches, 51% of whom abide by biblical theism. So again, when they talk about biblical worldview, what is that for those of you guys who don't know? Biblical worldview is if you believe the scripture is enough. It's inerrant. It's God-breathed. It's the word of God. It's our authority. First thing we go to, last thing we go to, right? It's the basis for our Christian faith. You believe in the Trinity. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that he's the second person in the Godhead. You believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, things like that. You believe God is the creator of the universe, the heavens and the earth, all and everything in it. Uh, you believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again. So those those are just some things that we hold to as believers in Christ. That's a biblical worldview. You look at the biblical worldview is when you, as a believer in Christ, look at the world from a biblical lens. And we're seeing here that only half of evangelical pastors look at the world from a biblical lens. Um, so it's unfortunate because like, where are they teaching their congregants, right? They're leading, these shepherds, supposed to be shepherds, are leading their congregants astray. And again, this is a sign of these the last days we're living in. And where we see this being spoken about, uh, I mean, we can see this spoken about all throughout the Bible concerning apostasy, concerning uh, the church drifting. Uh, I know in many of his parables in, in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about uh, what this intermediate period, um, in terms of him leaving heaven, uh, him starting the church, he's talking about the parables, how the church will actually be in decline. Um, so he used a lot of parables to speak about that in Matthew 13. Uh, but in 1 Timothy 4.1, it says here, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons. So obviously, a lot of us know about um, many of these popular Christian artists suddenly coming out and saying that, you know what, I'm not Christian anymore, I, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in the gospel, and I'm okay with it. Or we see the, the quote-unquote cultural Christians or progressive Christians who aren't Christians at all. Uh, we see 
uh, this this falling away from the faith from these people who used to be Christian, but they're not. Uh, we see, um, what's the name I'm thinking about? So you got the, the cultural Christians, progressive Christians. Um, we see people deconstructing. That's the name I'm thinking. So you see people deconstructing, quote unquote, from their faith. Um, so all that fits into 1 Timothy 4.1 of people departing from their faith, giving heed to, to doctrines of demons, like critical race theory. You have to repent of your whiteness. has nothing to do with the gospel. Um, telling people that, you know, um, that it's okay if, if you know, you if, if you believe in same-sex attraction, things like this. Just basically saying what the Bible says is bad is good, and saying what the Bible says is good is bad. So that's what Isaiah says. Um, Woe to those who say good is bad and bad is good, white is black, black is white. Um, and that's the society we're living in right now. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 4 talks about this as well. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, at his appearing at his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll eap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And I think this verse is also important to understand because... We can look at surveys like this of, you know, half of evangelical pastors, um, they don't know the Bible or maybe they don't have the biblical worldview. And we can say, oh my gosh, you know, where are these pastors getting their education from? Where are they thinking? But here, Paul says, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. So what... Paul is talking about here too is that it's not just you can't just point the blame at the pastors. Now, although I'm not I'm not saying that they're not doing anything bad, but what Paul is highlighting here is that people, the pulpits, the people in the pulpits, the so-called Christians, believers in the church, they're the ones placing people in those positions because they want to hear what they have to say. So it shows a problem not just for the so-called shepherds of the church, it shows that there's also a problem amongst self-professing Christians of our day, um, that they want to hear people talk about critical race. They want to hear people talk about gender and, and transgenderism and sexuality and affirm what they believe is true and right. Um, so that's unfortunately what we're seeing today. And that, again, shows us where we are in these last days. And, you know, an important thing I want to talk about, too, is because a lot of people ask, you know, oh, you know, Brother I or Brother Brother Stefan, is there going to be a last day's revival? And people get these questions. I get questions from other believers. Is there, do you guys think there's going to be a last day's revival before the rapture? That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible isn't saying that before the rapture or before the tribulation, there's going to be some type of amazing revival. I mean, I would love, I'm sure any of us, all of us, would love to see such a thing, but that's not what the Bible says. What Scripture shows us is that as these last days proceed, we're going to see people who are calling themselves Christians depart from the truth in larger and larger numbers. Uh, when, the only time I think we do see this revival in mass is Revelation 7 with the great multitude who will be martyred during the tribulation. So after the tribulation, there will be people who come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and there will be a great multitude no one can number. So I think that's where the revival will take place, but in the tribulation. But I don't see scripturally uh, some type of revival going on before the tribulation happens so this is just another sign of the times we're living in unfortunately and again just want to make note that for those of you guys joining us uh, a little bit late it's only me tonight brother stefan 
with his family have gone up uh, to just visit his mom because right now she has COVID and pneumonia. And so it's just a terrible situation. So if you guys can just keep him and his family in prayer uh, for guidance and peace during this time, that'll be great. And he's gonna be back on Monday. So no Saturday apologetics tomorrow. So just wanna make that note again for you guys before I continue. Okay, so next, UFOs. So I've been meaning to talk more about this. I think I, I referenced one article last week, if you guys were here last week with us, we referenced one article concerning UFOs and how the government, you know, they, they admitted, okay, we have wreckage of UFOs and that they, they can't say much more right now. And if, if people knew the truth, you know, it'll be, it'll be crazy, but they're kind of holding off on things right now. Um, but, you know, recently, as of the past five, four years or so, we've just been seeing more and more of this news it's going from being a conspiracy theory because you guys remember <laughs> 10 years ago, if you go back a decade, CNN, uh, Fox News, MS, I mean, pick your mainstream news source, right? There is no way a decade ago you would find a mainstream news source to talk about the fact that there's UFOs out there, that there's UAPs, right? You'd be laughed out of the studio. That was reserved for the tinfoil hat wearers, so to speak. But now... It's, it's just normal. It's like, oh yeah, you know, UFOs and it's a national defense security or a security threat and things like this. And that again, just shows us the times we're living in. Why, why is there suddenly a shift from this is a conspiracy theory to this is actually a national security threat? Why are we suddenly trying to, why is the government suddenly revealing all these documents concerning UFOs, revealing documents about re uh, retrieving um, wreckage from UFOs? And I believe it goes into the last day of deception, but I'll focus on that uh, after. But I want to just touch on an article here from the New York Post. NASA confirms it's joining search for UFOs. This article was done May 27th by the New York Post. NASA's reportedly confirmed it will officially join the hunt for UFOs after a groundbreaking UAP Congress hearing earlier this month. Unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAPs, and official sightings were recently discussed at a public U.S. Congress hearing on May 17th. So we talked about that last week. NASA previously said it does not actively search for or research UAP. So NASA previously, before this report came out on May 17th, they said, hey, we don't care about this UFO thing. We're not doing anything with it. But now they've changed their mind. So after the first public congressional hearing on the topic in 54 years, the U.S. Space Agency has reportedly changed its mind. And remember, guys, this is the same NASA. Last year, December, we're reported, and many other people talked about it, that NASA hired 12, 20 or so, like a, a dozen or so people from religious backgrounds to assess how people from different religions will basically take in or will somehow um, get used to a alien disclosure. So they would, so they took these people in this from religious background to basically ask the question and answer the question, how will people from these religious backgrounds respond to a UFO or alien disclosure? So, I mean, back in December, we were like, okay, there it doesn't make sense as to why NASA would do this unless they're expecting this type of thing to occur in the future. So essentially all I'm saying is that this is just preparing the stage, preparing the stage for something to occur. The article goes on and says, a NASA spokesperson reportedly said the agency is evaluating how to provide our expertise in space-based Earth observations to improve understanding UAPs. The source added that NASA has consulted multiple 
government entities to, to do this, to offer um, their help with identifying and finding um, UFOs. So uh, like we've talked about here on Fiction Watchers, I talk about a lot this, um, what I like to call last day's UFO deception. Brother Stefan and I do not believe in aliens. We don't believe in little green men from, you know, far, far away or whatever. We believe that these things are supernatural in nature. Um, so the world has their belief that it's extraterrestrial, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. But I take the, the belief that it's a extra dimensional or interdimensional hypothesis rather that it's not, you know, flesh and blood beings from a faraway galaxy, but it's supernatural beings from a different dimension. So they're demons or fallen angels. And I just want to focus on 2 Thessalonians here, which I believe is a verse that may point us to how this is relevant. Because I don't believe that the UFO, a possible UFO deceptions like explain the rapture may not be the only thing uh, that's used to explain away the rapture or the only thing, the only deception that happens in the last days. It just may be a component of it. So 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 to 11 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only who now restrains will do so until it's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the... So I want you guys to note this one. So 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So there's a strong delusion that will happen in the last days because people do not receive the truth. Uh, we see in these last days after the Antichrist is unveiled that he will come satanically empowered to be able to perform all signs, lying wonders. And what's interesting in the Greek there is that um, the phrase signs, lying wonders is the same Greek word used to characterize the signs and miracles Jesus did. Um, so it's not, he's not going to be doing anything fake per se. He will be performing real things, but it's from a demonic source um, and it's satanic source. Uh, more scripture uh, to help us relate this news biblically, because again, the point of talking about UFOs and everything is to look at it from a biblical worldview, right? So why can we say from a biblical perspective that there's not flesh and blood intelligent beings visiting us in UFOs that want to make contact with us? And why might this be, most likely be, a uh, supernatural in, in source? So for one, in Genesis 3, 17 to 19, Romans 8, 19 to 23, uh, we're told when Adam fell, all of creation was affected. So that would mean flesh and blood beings from, you know, Venus or whatever would be affected by the fall as well. After Adam's death, or after Adam's fall, sorry, death and sin enter the world. So Romans 5, 12, 19. Jesus came to the earth in the form of a man to redeem humans. And Philippians, Philippians 2, 7 to 8 tells us that. And Christ died once and for all. So Romans 6, 7 to 10 tells us that in several other passages. So we see here that, okay, all of creation was affected at the fall. Um, sin enter the world, so... We, we see the, the effects of sin in the world in creation. Jesus came in the form of man. He didn't come in the form of some type of other alien beings on other planets. He wasn't reincarnated on other planets. He just came to the earth to redeem mankind. And his sacrifice was once and for all. So again, he didn't go to other planets. After earth, he didn't leave 
to planet, you know, Venus to rescue aliens there. He didn't go to a different galaxy to rescue aliens there. Um, so we have to consider these things because if there are intelligent alien beings in a different part of the universe, they would be affected by the fall as well. And they would need saving as well. But the scriptures don't lead us to that truth. So based on the passages that I mentioned, it's difficult with the existence of flesh and blood aliens to merge with the biblical worldview. So and I kind of ask the question here with my writing, wouldn't flesh and blood aliens also be affected by the fall and need to be saved as well? Um, but again, in scripture, you don't see any notes or any leaning that Jesus Christ, after leaving earth, he went to different planets and reincarnated there in the form of different alien species. Because that's the kind of thing uh, that atheists and people levy or argue against Christians. Like, okay, um, if, if there's aliens and they'll say that, well, there's so many galaxies and things like that, that it has to be probable. And they know the story of the death, burial, and Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They mock us by saying that, well, I guess Jesus will have to reincarnate into other forms of aliens. So they, they get that mindset. They see how silly that is. And they use that argument against us by saying that, hey, aliens have to exist. Therefore, if aliens exist, your story about Jesus Christ dying for the sins of man would also have to be replicated to aliens as well. So therefore, Christianity is false. What I'm saying is that, that that's not even true. Aliens don't exist. The Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus Christ did. That he died once and for all for mankind. So therefore, we can see that there's something going on here uh, with these UFOs. And... Uh, there's also, I think, another project called like CE4. It might be forgetting their name, but they're basically uh, Christian guys who have documented and collected over 300 testimonies of people who have had encounters, allegedly, um, being abducted by aliens. And the matching theme with those encounters is that those people, when they were undergoing this alien abduction, so to speak, they said the name of Jesus and those encounters stopped. So you have to that you also have to ask the question there, why would flesh and blood beings from a different part of the galaxy be scared of the name of what the world believes is a dead Jewish Messiah? So that, that doesn't add up, but we do see demons tremble at the name of Jesus. We see fallen angels tremble at the name of Jesus. So those are the kind of things we have to be considering with this type of news. Another article on this, Israel 365 News, Pentagon UFOs flew over Israel. This is from May 22nd. At a congressional hearing, Pentagon officials testified that sightings of UFOs are becoming more frequent and may pose a danger. The testimony covered about 400 reports by pilots and service members from 2004 to the present, up from 143 assessed in a report released about a year ago. Uh, the article says the sightings are frequent and continuing and often occur in military training areas or other designated airspace. In fact, according to the report, Sightings are increasing in frequency. That's, that's very interesting. Most of the incidents that task force reviewed were reported in the last two years. And I want to camp on that for a little bit. This article says that there's 400 reports that these guys covered in this Senate briefing on May, on May 17th. Most of those 400 happened in the last two years. But they've been collecting reports from 2004. That's a big deal. So that means that this is just increasing again in frequency intensity, um, just like natural disasters and everything like that. So when that's said, we have to key in uh, to those kind of things. Looks like we have a question here. The question is, can you please explain Revelation chapter two regarding the different churches? Is that also something that churches are going through 
right now. So Rav Shir, thanks for the question. So I'll just repeat it for you guys. She asks, can you please explain Revelation chapter 2 regarding the different churches? That also is something the churches are going through right now. So let's just quickly go to Revelation chapter 2. And I get your question. I think uh, your question is coming from the fact that in Revelation 2 and chapter and 3, Jesus goes through, the, he tells John to write letters to these seven churches. Uh, the majority of them are backsliding. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, Jesus rebukes them. He says, you know, hold fast. Or he says, hey, return to your first love. Uh, and then after that, he says that if you do this, here's your reward. If you don't do this, here's your punishment. And then at the end of the letters, he says, he who has a hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And we see that with that statement, he who has a hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. It means that this isn't just what Jesus is writing here isn't just unique to these seven churches in literal location because these churches were in modern day Turkey. So these were actual literal churches. It's not just unique to them, but it also transcends time. So it also applies to the churches now. Now, people take two views on this. Uh, the two views people take is that the seven churches represent seven periods of the church age. So they would say something like, uh, like let's say the first 300 years of the church age was like represent like the Ephesus church. And the next, you know, 300 years is like the Smyrna. So some people take that view. Another view people take is that throughout the church age, you'll see different churches kind of resemble these types of churches. So you'll see maybe somewhere in Greece or whatever, a church that kind of resembles Smyrna with their problems, with their exhortation. Uh, you'll see somewhere in the U.S. where a church represents the Laodicean, the Laodicean church. Uh, so that those are the two kind of um, main thought processes behind the seven churches. Some, again, see it as, okay, there's a period of time for Ephesus. After that, uh, there's a period of time for Smyrna. Whereas people, other people think that during the whole 2,000 years of the church age, you can see um, different churches taking on these different characteristics. So it's not like a specific age, but it's kind of like, it just kind of goes on. You can find what they're going on or what they're, what they're doing uh, throughout the 2,000 years. So in terms of your question, can you please explain um, Revelation chapter 2 regarding the different churches? Is that also something the churches are going through right now? I think that, I think that explains it well, actually. Um, so it really depends. I, I more so take the view that throughout the 2,000 years of the church age, we can see churches that follow these characteristics. So I don't think it's specific like age, um, as in, you know, the first 300 years of the church age, it's only, you could, churches only resemble Ephesus. And then, you know, the last 200 years of church age, it's only Laodicean churches. I believe you can find different churches in different periods of time at the same time. So for example, in the U.S., I mean, we just started this uh, broadcast, right, talking about the fallen way we're seeing in the U.S. with evangelical churches. So that's definitely uh, reminds us of Laodicea, right? The compromise, no, not the compromised church, but the lukewarm church. Uh, whereas, I'm just trying to find it here. There is Smyrna, the persecuted church. I mean, there's churches in, what, North Korea, China, Iran, right? Nigeria, who are being persecuted. So I believe those churches would be a picture of Smyrna. They have characteristics of Smyrna, where we see that they're persecuted. Uh, Jesus says in verse 9, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. For synagogue, Satan, do not fear any of those things that you are about to suffer. And he promises them, 11, he who hasn't here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
he who overcomes shall not be earth but his second death. So I believe just like Smyrna's time, that actual church of Smyrna was facing persecution, um, but in our age today and all over the 2000, period, 2000 years of church history, we find many churches like Smyrna who undergone persecution and can still hold on to what Jesus was saying there. So I hope that helps and I hope um, a, a summary or overview of those two views helps you dive into your own research as well concerning those seven churches. And I guess another view would be people who can see both, where they can see a, a, a period of time for each church in the church history, but at the same time, uh, elements of these rebukes, these exhortations in churches of that day. So again, you'll find different views there. Uh, I'm more so the second one. Uh, comment here by S. Nunez 8 Yesterday I saw two notifications of two different YouTubers I subscribed to. Both on the same day posted a video about not to ignore God, that that was a sign. Um, so that's just interesting. And I think in general, it's it's a good message. It's a good um, reminder not to ignore God in general. So it definitely is important that, you know, they're, they're displaying that message that, hey, don't forget about God. And to key into that. Yeah, let's not forget about God. Let's read through scripture daily. Make sure we're praying. Make sure we're exhorting each other and encouraging each other as we see the day approaching. Okay, so moving on, we've talked about the fallen way we're seeing in the churches. Uh, we've talked about UFOs, what we're seeing there, how that's kind of setting up for, for possible last day's deception. And I, and I kind of want to move on to technology. Sorry for the connection, guys. I'm seeing that it's uh, buffering a little bit. So in Summit News, this, this headline is very interesting. Um, Australian primary school sees microchips in students' brains in 10 years. So I mean... Talk about Revelation 13, right? Where an Australian primary school actually had, and I'll read it to you guys, they actually have written down that they believe they could see microchips in students' brains in 10 years, in the next 10 years, which is pretty crazy, but it just goes to show how accepted this is seen now, right? Again, we talk about the UFO thing where mainstream news people are, are talking about UFOs like, like they were just talking about the weather, right? Like it's just a normal part of life. But 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, seven years ago, six years ago, it would have been just conspiracy theorists talking about UFOs or reportedly conspiracy theorists. Uh, same thing, right? Maybe go back a few years ago. Um, you can't find schools actually seriously considering microchipping their students. But now it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe in 10 years we'll see students microchipped. Uh, okay, so... Again, the, uh, the headline is Australian primary school sees microchips in students' brains in 10 years. An Australian primary school predicted microchips in students' brains within 10 years before subsequently deleting the newsletter that contained the creepy prophecy. So they, they did this. It was a newsletter sent by the school and they deleted it. <laughs> but but uh, I'll, I'll have this article. And again, as usual, uh, after these IG lives, I always post uh, my notes to our Figtree Watchers Telegram channel. You can find on the website as well. So you can look at the article yourself, but they show a picture of the, the newsletter, the other bullet points that they're talking about. Uh, but one of these points, again, was microchips in students' brains. They deleted it, um, but you can still search for the newsletter on Google. So even though they deleted it, it doesn't matter, it still shows up. So the bizarre entry was featured in the May 26th edition of the Preston West Primary School. So you know what school is, Preston West. Uh, newsletter, which listed a number of prosaic things the school envisions will be helpful to helpful to educating children in a decade. 
they include more mental health awareness. So I mean like normal things, right? More mental health awareness, uh, more buildings and development, as well as technological advances for teachers and students. And then they, they list microchips in students' brains to promote intelligence and memory. So I mean, it just go, <laughs> literally goes from zero to 100. Help, mental health awareness, like okay, that, that's great. Uh, building development, cool, that, that's awesome. Microchipping students, and it's like, what just happened there? We just went off the cliff, went off the deep end. But again, I just feel like that just goes to show um, how normal this is, right? We, we've seen articles about how Sweden, people are getting chipped. Like if you wanna talk about people getting chipped and the popularity of that, Sweden. Sweden right now, they don't even care. People are getting chipped in thousands and thousands. Um, people we've seen for COVID, when that was really rampant in the early stages, and we got the vaccines out and you know people were saying in some parts of the world some parts of the us you have to have your vaccine passport well, people put their vaccine passports in their microchips or people had qr codes on, on their skin for their vaccine passport so what we're seeing is a general desensitizing of the of the world of the governments of the people the public to just accept some kind of chip some kind of mark some type of tattoo to that allows you to go into a place for a service. And if you don't have that thing, you get denied that service. And I mean, how obvious can this be uh, concerning how this is a setup to what Revelation 13, 16, 17 says with the Mark the Beast, right? And I'll just read it quick, but we're very familiar with it. But it's never a bad idea to read scripture, no matter how familiar we are with it. Um, so Revelation 13, 16, 17 says, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the name of his name. Uh, so again, the, that's going to happen during the tribulation. These chips, they're not the mark of the beast. Vaccine isn't the mark of the beast. Don't want to make that clear. But what we are seeing is that people are getting desensitized to this technology. They're getting desensitized to this mindset that you need something on your skin, on your body, inside your body to get service somewhere. They're accepting this view. And now I guess it's being pushed into schools that, hey, let's microchip the kids. It's fine, right? We microchip animals, same thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're seeing. Uh, now I'm gonna move to the Middle East. Time is failing us, but I wanna get to some stuff in the Middle East. Uh, this is gonna be a longer read, but this article is really important for our understanding of how the Jews, um, whether it's leaders in the Israeli governments or secular Jews, religious Jews, are starting to see a need for the status quo on the Temple Mount to be changed. And that is very important concerning the Third Temple. Uh, Brother Stefan and I talk about this a lot, and it's very it's very uh, interesting. It's something that gets me really excited more than anything. Not that I'm supporting the building of the Third Temple. We shouldn't support the building of the Third Temple, but it just shows us how close things are getting. If the Jews are like, we want the status quo changed, we want to put on the Temple Mount, and some religious Jews see prayer on the Temple Mount as a gateway to building the Third Temple. So that's how important this news is. So the Times of Israel says, or they post an article on June 2nd, fighting rabbinic ban, Jewish activists push Temple Mount prayer toward mainstream. And again, this is gonna be a long to read, so I want you guys to bear with me here, but just a lot of uh, great information in this article. This article says, among the most successful political movements in Israel in recent decades, has been one relating to the Temple Mount, turning what was once an exceedingly fringe view held by solely, hold solely by members of the National Religious Camp 
into something that even a significant number of secular Jewish Israelis can agree with, that Jews should be allowed to not only visit, but pray on the Temple Mount. And that's very important. And for the past few months now, we've been uh, discussing with you guys and showing you guys and talking about articles about how, you know, um, there's Arabs and there's terrorists and they're doing all these terrorist attacks in Israel. We've talked about the quote-unquote fake Muslim prophecy, saying that Israel is going to be wiped out in May or June or something. And that obviously never happened, of course. It's never going to happen. Uh, but during all that, we also saw a lot of violence and, and aggression on the Temple Mount. And that also rocked and is currently still having impacts on the current Israeli government. So the, the violence on the Temple Mount is still something that's still trickling through or rippling through the, the public there. Uh, but one thing that came out of the violence of the Temple Mount and the terrorist attacks and all this violence and uprising and all this stuff was that Jews everywhere, secular Jews, religious Jews, Jews in the government were saying that, hey, this is crazy. We can't do this anymore. We've had enough. The status quo needs to change. And I've noted, we've noted that. And I've noted too that it's interesting that this isn't just religious Jews saying the status quo needs to change. This is now going to secular Jews. And what you guys need to understand if you don't know is that a vast majority of the Jewish population, whether in Israel or around the world, they don't subscribe to Judaism, right? They're, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They, they don't believe in that stuff. They're secular. They're atheists. They're agnostic. Um, but now even they are saying that, yeah, we want, you know, our rights on the Temple Mount because we want the, you know, we think that it's good for the Jews to have a place on the Temple Mount because it shows their authority over it. Um, some people say it sends a good signal of their power over it, things like that. So for that reason, and religious freedom too, so they're also quoting and citing religious freedom. So for that reason, even the secular Jews are jumping aboard, which is a very significant thing. So just continuing this article, uh, that shift, truly dramatic one historically speaking, was on display on Sunday as a record number of Jews visited the site to uh, celebrate Jerusalem Day, which marks Israel's capture of East Jerusalem in 1967, Six-Day War, the first time that the Temple Mount was in the Jewish hands, at least for 2,000 years. And listen to this, because they cite kind of numbers um, concerning the amount of Jews that used to go on the Temple Mount to the amount of Jews that went on the Temple Mount recently. So listen to these numbers I'm going to give you guys, because they tell you that it's significantly increased. So they said over 2,600 Jews visit the Temple Mount, setting a record for the highest number of Jewish visitors to the site in a single day. So over 2,600 Jews visited Temple Mount in one day. This represents an astronomical rise in just a few years. There were only 5,000 visits to the Temple Mount by Jews in all of 2012. So again, recently, 2,600 Jews in just one day, 2012, 5,000 Jews. That was a high number, but that was all 2012, right? So we basically hit half of that number in, in just a day. So I mean, that's, so they're saying that, wow, that is, that is crazy. That is amazing. So in addition um, to this one-two punch of reinterpreting, so they, they talk about some laws and things like that. They say Jewish Temple Mount activists have also fought a stunningly successful public relations battle, shifting the discourse around Jewish visits to the site from an outlying religious issue to a cause that even secular and liberal Israelis can agree with, freedom of worship and national sovereignty. So again, I think increasingly what we're going to be seeing as time marches on is that 
this issue of the Temple Mount and ultimately the Third Temple is going to be less and less about religion and less and less about, oh, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and God and Yahweh. But it's going to be more about we want our religious rights. We want our freedom. We want our national sovereignty. It's going to be more about that. And I think that's even more significant than the religious reason than the Orthodox Jews because it gets everyone on board, not just the Orthodox Jews, not just the, the politi politicians uh, in, you know, their government who are Jewish and who, you know, pray and things like that. But it's going to get largely the secular um, population on board. And I think that's important because that's going to be a huge driving force to get things changed. And lastly here, uh, they said, indeed, a recent survey of Jewish Israelis by the Israel Demo Democracy Institute found that exactly half support allowing Jews to pray on the Temple Mount, with three quarters of those saying that they support it because it would send a message about Israel's control over the site, while only a quarter said that it would show it should be allowed because of religious reasons. So again, we, we talked about that survey a few weeks back. Again, just a survey to summarize, just showed that half of religious, half of Jews believe in prayer that Jews should be able to go to pray on the Temple Mount, which is something that is against the status quo. They can't do that. Um, and out of that half that said, yeah, we think Jews should be able to put on the Temple Mount, three-fourths of those said the reason for that is to show that they have sovereignty over the Temple Mount, while a fourth of that just said, yeah, they should be able to pray for religious reasons. So we can see again that the big drive for this now is going away from religion and more towards we want religious freedom, we want sovereignty over this, over this piece of real estate in the Middle East, and that's important. And where we see, again, this is important because it ultimately is going to lead to the building of the Third Temple, this idea that we need our hands on the Temple Mount, and behind this movement are those Jews that only want the status quo changed so they can get the Third Temple built. And why that's so important is that the Bible talks about there is going to be a Third Temple one day. So Daniel 9, 27. Uh, talks about uh, the, the seven-year tribulation. Uh, covenants can be confirmed by the Antichrist. And at the middle of the com confirmation of that covenant, he's going to break it. He's going to break the covenant, stop the sacrifices. So I'll just read that quick. Daniel 9, 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant of many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So... The, the rationale goes, right? For the Antichrist to make this covenant midway, cut the covenant short, and stop the sacrifices, there has to be sacrifices that was restarted, right? And where do you have the sacrifices? In the temple. To have sacrifices in the temple, you need a temple built. Well, to have a temple built, you need the Jewish people back in their land to want the temple uh, to be built, right? So we've had, we have the Jewish people regathered in their land, as the Bible prophecy says. Uh, we have a desire in the Jews and now, increasingly secular Jews going towards this mindset of we want the status quo change. We want to put on the Temple Mount. We want the Temple built. Um, and obviously, when the Temple's built, sacrifices start. And it's a time, it's a basically taking down to uh, the abomination desolation. So the, the significance of this news, ultimately, guys, that I want you to get out of it, is that there has to be a third temple that's standing at least midway or three and a half years into the tribulation. So if we're seeing right now news of Jews saying they want to build their third temple, 
if we're seeing news of Muslims saying, hey, the Jews, they can have the Temple Mount, you know, let them build their third temple, it shows us that we're super close to the abomination and desolation, which is three and a half years in. And if the rapture of the church happens before the tribulation, how much closer are we to the rapture, right? So that's that's the general uh, correlation here. And that's why I'm so excited to talk about temple news because it's like, hey, it just shows that the rapture is even closer. So where we can also see this talked about, the abomination and desolation, is by Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 15. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination and desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And then Jesus tells them, in verse 16, um, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So he gives them instructions. When you see the abomination and desolation, flee. Don't get anything. Run. Pray that your flight is not in winter or on Sabbath. Um, so that's, again, a reference to what we just read from Daniel 9, 27. Jesus says... This abomination desolation will happen in the temple. It presupposes that there has to be a temple. Revelation 11, this is the last one, one to two. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, that's, uh, that's John. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. Believe out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and it will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So the context of Revelation 11 and the larger context of what's been going on thus far during this period of time is the tribulation. This is just a, a break in time, Revelation 11, um, between the judgments that you've been seeing. So this is during the tribulation. We see that uh, the two witnesses will be killed. People around the world will rejoice over their dead bodies, send gifts to each other, look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. And then there'll be a great earthquake, kill 7,000 people. Um, so that temple that's being described in this context is in the context of the tribulation. So again, the Bible predicts there has to be a third temple sometime in the tribulation. And we're seeing news about this third temple increasingly. So it's, it's very interesting. Okay, uh, next here, enough third temple news, even though it's, it's very exciting. All Israel news, do recent reports indicate that Israel and Saudi Arabia are inching closer to normalization? Uh, so I think I touched upon this last week as well. Um, with the Abraham Accords and everything, growing relations with Saudi Arabia, uh, we'll see why that's perfectly significant. Uh, but I'll just read the article quick. A series of reports from recent days indicates that relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia seem to be warming up. And while it is still too early to tell if the current progress can lead to a full normalization of ties, these developments are considered groundbreaking. So again, it's not my words. They're, they're saying that these developments with Israel and Saudi Arabia getting closer is groundbreaking. It's not normal, not something that's happened in the past before. It's, it's new developments. Uh, Channel 12 News reported that a senior Israeli official visited Saudi Arabia recently for talks of growing cooperation between two countries, including the field of security. And some of you guys have to understand as well, and I'm sure some of you guys know and we've talked about, is that part of what's driving Saudi Arabia and many of these Gulf states, such as UAE, Bahrain, um, many of these Middle Eastern countries who used to be against Israel to the point that they wanted to wipe them out, right? Saudi Arabia is one of those nations who I believe was part of the Six-Day War. Uh, you might correct me on that. It might be a different uh, uh, aggression that happened in the past, but they used to be against Israel. They wanted to wipe them out. They didn't, they didn't uh, accept Israel's statehood. Um, now we're seeing a change where these nations, part of the reason they're running to Israel is because of Iran. Iran wants to wipe out Israel, but not Israel alone. Iran is an enemy. 
of um, of uh, Saudi Arabia as well in some of these Gulf states. And the reason because of that is because of Shiite Islam and uh, Sunni Islam. So they're they're different. So Iran is different than um, than uh, Saudi Arabia in terms of what they believe, and that makes them enemies, right? Just just that's how it is um, between Sunni Islam and Shiite Islam. So because of that. They're running to Israel, which is the superpower of the Middle East, to help in protecting them against the Iranian threat. So this Iranian threat, coupled with the fact that Israel is just so prosperous right now, I mean, it's it's an easy decision for them to make. They're like, wait, Israel is the only one really fighting against Iran. Israel is the, only the one that really has a fighting chance against Iran. They can help protect us. They can give us military assets. Not only that, but we can also get something from them economically. Let's go for it. And that's what we've been seeing in normalization agreements too, right? Uh, so article says we have had indirect contacts with Saudi Arabia for more than 20 years, but I do not remember a boom like in recent months. So again, just speaks to the fact that in recent months, they're seeing uh, a change. They're seeing things change. The air is changing. They're seeing uh, further progress in terms of the, the unity or not unity, but the relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Jerusalem and Riyadh, so Riyadh is the capital of Saudi Arabia. Jerusalem and Riyadh do not have diplomatic relations, but the kingdom recently allowed certain Israeli flights to pass through its airspace. So again, the article just goes on to talk about how uh, they're just basically playing nice, although on paper in the books in public, um, there is no official relation between Israel and Saudi Arabia. It's hush-hush, it's kind of in the back, um, but now it's coming more so in the on the front front forefront on the open, which is interesting. And why this is prophetic, why this matters is Ezekiel 38. We're always going to Ezekiel 38 recently. Um, what's happening in Ezekiel 38 is nations, Russia, Iran, Turkey, Sudan, all these nations um, will go against Israel for economic gain, which we're seeing in Israel right now. And there'll be nations who protest that invasion. We see uh, in here, I'll, I'll read it for you guys. Um, verse, let's see, verse 13 talks about Sheba Didan. Uh, so in ancient times, if you look on the map, Sheba Didan is modern day Saudi Arabia. So it just shows us that, hey, for Saudi Arabia, Sheba Didan, to want to protest this invasion against Israel, they have to be on some type of friendly terms, right? There's no way Saudi Arabia is going to want to protest the invasion against Israel if they hate Israel's guts, they have to like them in some form or fashion. So that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the stage being set for what the Bible says is going to happen. So Ezekiel 38, 11, 13 says, You will say, I'll go up against the land of unwalled villages. I'll go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Take plunder to take booty to stretch out your hand against the waste places. They are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. So speaking to Israel's prosperity after being regathered to the land. Shabbat Dan, the murders of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take plunder? So again, the, the, the importance of this is that as we're seeing um, the growing relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia, our minds should go to Ezekiel 38, that it's setting up, this groundwork is being set up, uh, even for Turkey and Iran, right? They're super hostile to, to Israel. Turkey-Iran used to be friends of Israel. Uh, again, Saudi Arabia used to be an enemy of Israel, but that's those three parties, they've taken a total 180 flip to coincidentally 
aligned to what Ezekiel 38 says will be the conditions on the ground when that invasion happens. So it's not a coincidence. It's what is happening is that time is just catching up to what the Bible already foretold over 2,500 years ago, right? So that just speaks to uh, the truth of Scripture, that we can trust in God. If, he, if he's right about these things, we can trust in what he has to say concerning salvation, uh, the meaning of our lives, things like that. So we have a few minutes left, guys, so I'm just going to wrap it up here. Um, so I'll just read some headlines quick. Let's see, Jerusalem Post, we should restore the sounds of holiness to Jerusalem's Temple Mount. This article from the Jerusalem Post was written by Yehuda Glick, who was a former member of the Likud party. I believe that's, uh, that was Benjamin Netanyahu's party. So this article was written by a former member of the Israeli government, basically arguing that the status quo needs to change on the Temple Mount. So that's another example of how they were seeing this push, not just by religious Jews, but by secular Jews and Jews in who held place of office or currently are in office in the Israeli government. Like it's not just a fringe thing people are pushing the Temple Mount, but it's becoming more mainstream, like I highlighted to you guys earlier. Uh, what else do we have here? We have um, Times of Israel, Bennett to IAEA chief. Israel reserves right to act against Iran's nuclear program. So Israel has been preparing strikes and things like that, practicing strikes as they see um, Iran ramping up their nuclear game. Uh, NBC News, Iran has enough uranium to build an atomic bomb. I, I mentioned that earlier. Uh, so we're, we're just seeing all this news, guys, and a lot of stuff. But as usual, we like to end this we're just talking about why do we talk about these things, right? So we talk about these things for two for two groups of people, for the believer and for the non-believer, for the person that hasn't believed on Jesus Christ. Uh, for the believer in Christ, we talk about this news, not to scare you about prophecy isn't to scare, but to prepare. Um, like I said, I was talking about the Temple Mount news, and I'm excited, not for the temple, not for the tribulation, but for what it means. What it means is that the rapture is near, that Jesus Christ is coming. That's what all these things shows us, right? As we're seeing a, a further cry, increased cry for the Temple Mount and for Jews to build their temple. As we're seeing people get acquainted with and get normalized to microchips and technology and then systems that say, hey, if you don't have this thing on your skin or in your body, you can't buy or sell, you can't go here, you can't go there. As we're seeing an increase in UFO activity or uh, increase in frequency and intensity of uh, immorality in the world. Um, shootings, things like that, violence, carjackings, um, natural disasters. It all just points to the fact that we are in the last days, that Jesus Christ is coming, that the tribulation is near. For us believers, we're not going into the tribulation. So because of that, the rapture comes first. It just means that our return, or the Lord's return, and our catching up together with them in the air is near. Uh, and we should encourage each other with that. So James 5, 7 to 8 says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And that's what we like to talk about. Um, that's what I like to think about. And I'd encourage you guys, as you go through life, as, as you uh, sometimes deal with the difficulties of life, remember that it's only momentary. Paul talks about the struggles we face here as a momentary affliction, light affliction. And it's interesting for Paul to say that because I mean, if you, as you read Paul's journeys, <laughs> he went through a lot. He went through a lot, but even him, he's like, hey, that's a light affliction compared to the glory that's to come that's gonna be revealed to us or uh, in us through Christ Jesus, right? 
So there's something that we haven't seen yet that's coming that's beyond our rawest imaginations that anything we face now on this earth pales in comparison. So that should give us joy. That should give us hope. That should excite us as we see that, hey, the Lord can come for us now. We have to, you know, we have to double down on showing the gospel. We have to double down on loving people, on being intentional with our actions, sharing the gospel, on telling people that Jesus Christ is coming, telling people about this news. Most importantly, though, connecting it to Bible prophecy. Uh, because Revelation 19, 10, I like to use this verse. Uh, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you not do that. I'm your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So ultimately, all this news is as fun as it might be to talk about it and think about it and, and you know, share news and everything. Ultimately, we talk about this from a biblical perspective to point to Jesus Christ. For the believer to encourage you that he's coming and for the non-believer to exhort you, encourage you, to believe on Jesus. Paul says that today is the day of salvation. Uh, the Bible says in James that our life is like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, so as you listen to this, we, we you know ask you, please think about these things. Don't put off salvation now. Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again on the third day because none of us can do that, right? Because we're sinners, we have a death penalty that we have to pay. Um, and Jesus Christ is the only one who was sinless, who lived a perfect life, who didn't transgress God's laws like we did. And he stood in the gap for us, down the cross, took on our punishment, God's wrath, in our place. So if we believe on him, we will have eternal life. His righteousness will be given to us. Um, so that's the hope of the gospel uh, that I want to share and that we're trying to share through about prophecy as well. So... With that, we're just going to close up for the night, guys. Again, just to remind you that Brother Stefan is with his mother tonight and his family. Uh, his mother has COVID pneumonia, so you guys can keep in prayer. That'll be great, and he'll be back on Monday. Uh, you guys can catch this uh, as we will save it on IG, so you can watch it again on the replay. We'll also be saving it on podcast format, so you can listen to us on iTunes or Amazon Music. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we'll be on there. And I'll also put on these notes on our Telegram page as well. So with that being said, I wish you guys a good night and a good rest of your weekend. Talk to you guys later.